the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Hope you're having a great day. Our friend Kate Shellnut over at Christianity Today caught us up uh, online about what happened with the Southern Baptist Convention. Yes, so I know finally well, they've come to some terms. Yeah, right? why don't you tell us the story? Because when I was out on Monday, you and Catherine McNeil, by the way, you do a great show together. Thank you. Uh, you sometimes I get a little worried that you guys are too good yep, together. Get worried, know? get worried, Brian. She's so, coming for you. <laughs> so you and Catherine McNeil uh, had a chance to talk to our friend Bob Smetana, uh, veteran religion reporter, mm-hmm. about what's going on and what was coming with the Southern Baptist Convention. So big vote yesterday. Why don't you catch us up about what Bob yeah, said? Yeah, and if you did miss that conversation with Bob, you can always go catch up on our podcast. Well, as we like to say, wherever it is, you cast your pods or you can find old episodes on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. That was from Monday. But essentially what um, Bob filled us in on was that the Southern Baptist were, uh, the committee was really, the executive committee was debating whether or not they would allow attorney-client privilege. Right. The optics of that and the problem with that were that it seemed like they were keeping some, wanted to keep some things in the dark, in secret, regarding sexual abuse or sexual abuse cover-up. And they continued to postpone this decision. Postpone it, postpone it, postpone it. Bob even told us that one meeting went so long, he missed his flight and was unable to find another flight that night. So he ended up staying in, I think it was Nashville overnight. So this has gone on for a very long time. But finally, yesterday, they came to a conclusion. And it seems like a good conclusion. Yeah. And so uh, by a vote of 44 to 31, the executive committee voted in favor of waiving attorney-client privilege in the investigation uh, after a half dozen members resigned and several switched their position in favor of the waiver, let's be honest. Here's what happened: uh, the I'm going to use the word rank and file of the Southern Baptist Convention, who you remember, the messengers yep. uh, at the original convention said, uh, not the original convention, but at the one a couple months ago, mm-hmm. the big one said, "We want you to do this." Yes, and that's why this was getting now. There's insurance reasons and and you know liability things, but. Uh, after they voted or kept delaying, there were letters upon letters, and it got social media. So they really uh, couldn't do much about this. Right, and, right. Uh, there was all. There was one response. There was it. So it seems. So the executive committee chairman Roland Slade, who oversaw the proceedings, expressed his relief, and he said, "This I want to express sorrow over the conduct we've displayed as mm. Southern Baptists." And so now. Uh, it was a lot more difficult to get to this point, but now there is going to be an, a, an investigation into not just the Southern Baptist Convention's handling of abuse allegations, but what made this so kind of uh, dicey is also they're going to look at the executive committee. Yeah. What did they know? What yeah. didn't they know? What yeah. did they do? Uh, Aubrey, people might be going, oh, I don't know if we want to know all this <laughs> stuff. And I know it's not about us. It's about those abuse victims. But why do you think... Uh, I know you well enough to know that you think this is an important decision that was made yesterday and a good one. Why is it a positive result? I mean, at the end of the day, this has gone on long enough. (laughs) 
And I I think you're exactly right. It's a small step, but it's such an important step to honor the victims. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's an important step for transparency. You know, it's an important step for the witness to Jesus Christ. And even if we find that there was horrific cover-up, which we may or may not find, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or at least like knowing cover-up, um, that it does seem like the Holy Spirit is, and I'm hesitant to say this because I am as sinful as the next person, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit seems to be cleaning house in a lot of these situations. There seems to be a reckoning. So even if the worst stuff comes to the light, when it comes to the light, that's when the Lord can do healing mm-hmm. work. When it stays hidden, these things stay sinful and shameful and terrible for the witness of the gospel. And so I think it honors the victim. It's better for the church. It might be really, really painful, but painful. we're no longer protecting power. We're now protect, protecting the vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, Georgia pastor, a guy by the name of Griffin Gulledge, uh, who I've seen online because he says here he's hosted hundreds of Southern Baptist Convention leaders and onlookers in Twitter discussions around these proceedings, oh, wow. kind of a grassroots movement. Uh, he said this. Taking steps towards honesty, transparency, repentance, those are great things. Mm. Those are worthy of celebration. It is huge to see this vote go from losing by a large margin to ultimately passing by a large margin. But let's recognize that the result of this is that the Southern Baptist Convention will never be the same. And so there's also something here about a grassroots movement, right? Like, Hmm. you know, people in power going, I think this is a bad idea. I want to see this happen. A lot of debate. Uh, And really, I think if if I use the phrase before, the rank and file of the Southern Baptist Convention hadn't gotten loud online. Right. This let's be honest, this change would not have happened. This was not like this was not like a come to Jesus where we know what we're wrong. This had to do with the movement. So what does that teach us again uh, about, um, I don't know, where true power resides in even in big organizations? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point and that there are reasons why the hashtag Me Too or hashtag Church Too movement was able to um, begin to make change because the power, the beauty of social media, we mm-hmm. talk a lot about the terrible things about social media the beauty of social media is that it does put the power in the people's hands. And when there's enough people saying, look, this is not okay. Look, you're accountable to us. We're part of your uh, convention. We're part of your churches. We want to see change. The fact that even if they were a little reticent, they listened to that does show you the power in a good way of what social media can do. Agreed. Now, Ed Litton, who is the new president uh, of the SBC, he said he was grateful that a quote, full transparent and, uh, an impeded, in, I think that meant to be unimpeded investigation, could now begin. He prayed at the end that they've all faced a very difficult and challenging time, may not continue to divide and separate brothers and sisters, and mm. we pray that God's will be done. I, I think that's a reminder. Neither you nor I are in Southern Baptist Convention right. churches, right. Uh, but this is a huge denomination. It's the biggest denomination in the Protestant world, and so to be praying for them and be praying, like you said, not against pain. Like pain might be the right thing here, right? Yeah. Like um, surgery is painful, but it brings healing. That's and right. So uh, we are praying for that. Well, that's uh, big news in the church world right there. If you want to read more about it, you can read Kate's article at Christianity Today. Well, coming up next, Dr. Steve Bryan, professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He recently wrote an article at the Gospel Coalition called Neither Progressive Nor Conservative, The Politics of a Confessing Evangelical. We're going to talk to Steve Bryan next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. 
Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, you and I discuss a lot of times articles at the Gospel Coalition mm-hmm. or other websites. Uh, and, and we saw just a great one just a day or two ago. And we said, let's have this author on. The, the title of the article is Neither Progressive Nor Conservative, The Politics of a Confessing Evangelical. The author of that article is Professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. His name is Dr. Steve Bryan. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure. Thanks for spending some time with us. Hey, before we dive into the article, uh, I briefly introduced you, but why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better? Well, my name is Steve Bryan, and uh, I teach New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School up in Deerfield, Illinois, and uh, I've been teaching there since uh, 2016. Before that, we spent about uh, 24 years uh, serving in, in Ethiopia. I was mm-hmm. primarily involved in theological education there, wow. training uh, pastors and workers for the church there. That's great. Steve, um, one of the things that you say in this article is the witness of prophets does not come from the poles or even from the middle, but from the wilderness. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, I think what I was trying to get at there is is this kind of principled non-alignment um, that, that our most important contribution um, to the body politic is is our ability to to remain faithful to to God and to and to His Word. Um, and so I use the image of a prophet. Um, prophets often are, you know are found in the in the wilderness, whether you're talking about Elijah or Moses and and that's where they heard from from the Lord. So it's mm. kind of an image or a metaphor of that place we go to to hear clearly what the Lord uh, has to say to to us and what He has to say to us uh, uh, for the sake of His people. Yeah. Um, and often they were addressing themselves to the nation, right? Um, but they weren't sort of the king's counselors. Um, they, you know, to, if you're going to be a king's counselor, almost by definition, you're not a prophet. Wow. And Steve, what do you see as the result for individuals, but also for the church, when we are too closely aligned politically, when we become too political? Because obviously you, you can't not be political, but uh, when there's the over-politicalization of the church, what is the result in our culture then? I think the, the, one of the results is that we, we begin, perhaps you know, with, with good intentions, but uh, we begin to, um, to be co-opted. Uh, by the party that we joined, and so we mm. we stop speaking for Christ and start speaking for the party, and so that means that sometimes we remain silent when we should speak, and sometimes we speak when we actually should be objecting. We we speak in favor of the party, uh, or our silence you know speaks for us in ways that uh, that don't actually reflect what we see in Scripture. Mm. Um, again, Steve, the name of your article at the Gospel Coalition is Neither Progressive Nor Conservative, The Politics of a Confessing Evangelical. Let's step back a little bit and just talk to us about why you decided to write this article. Well, I mentioned before I came back to the to the U.S. Uh, after living outside of the U.S. for almost a quarter of a century um, into the middle of the, the maelstrom of the political campaign in 2016. Wow. And wow. I had to kind of re- Re-engage with my own sort of home culture, uh, you know, on these on these questions of, uh, of politics, and just seeing the the new divisions that were beginning to emerge, and also disturbed somewhat by the by the way in which 
evangelicals were being portrayed in the media, but also the way in which some very high-profile self-identifying evangelicals were kind of closely, closely identifying with one poll, uh, and sometimes, in some cases, another poll, and and seeing that as as a real threat to the gospel and mm. a real threat to evangelical identity. Yeah, and, and Steve, you teach students uh, up at Trinity. And uh, Aubrey and I are both pastors, so we wrestle with this. I I wonder what it would look like. What do you think it would look like if the church and we as individuals were getting this right? Like, how do you tell your students to interact with the political landscape out there? Well, I think that's a tricky one because uh, when you enter into the polling booth, uh, in most cases, you have two options. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So in one sense, you know, we're we're confronted with polar choices. We We have to make a decision one way, one way or, or another. And so I don't think it's possible to say, you know, you should always vote this way um, or that you should, you know, you should join this party. It will always be a matter of, of weighing things up in relation to, to any particular candidate when it comes to voting. Um, but I think, you know, one thing that is important to keep in mind is that it's, it's not just in voting. It's, it's our evaluation of, party platforms, you know, what what does a particular group stand for? And I think as evangelicals, we can stand back and look at the, the Democratic Party and say, um, you know, there are things that I just can't go along with. And the same thing is true on the other side of the aisle. There are things that are, that are being articulated that I think are deeply antithetical to, to authentic Christian faith. Um, and so I think our ability to, to stand back from that and to speak prophetically about the platforms and what what each group says, says they they stand for what they want to promote. Um, I think there there is sort of principled non-alignment is is often going to be the the best stance for 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 us to follow. Mm. If we like get sort of implicated deep down into the into the workings of a party and identify so closely with the party, yeah, um, we're just we're we're going to ultimately find ourselves compromised. I think this is something that Brian and I talk about a lot on The Common Good, when our nationalism gets ahead of our faith a bit or our political party gets ahead of our allegiance to the kingdom. And and I wonder if you could just speak, Steve, about how our witness is at stake when we do that. I think um, often it means we're going to kind of prioritize one kind of neighbor over, and over another. Mm. You know, we may say we want to speak for the unborn, and that is a very particular kind of neighbor, mm. um, and we absolutely must. But if that means that in speaking for the unborn, we say nothing when it's the alien, um, then I think we, we, we've lost contact with biblical priorities mm-hmm. um, about, about another kind of neighbor. So if, if we're being motivated by neighbor love, we have to sort of, Stand back from our, you know, the party's affinities for one kind of neighbor over another, um, and say, "Hey, they're both our neighbors. We need to be pursuing the way of love in relation to both." Mm. Yeah, I'd right. encourage people to go check out this article, the Gospel Coalition, called "Neither Progressive Nor Conservative: The Politics of a Confessing Evangelical." Steve, before we let you go, you have a new book coming out this summer. When it comes out, we'd love to have you back on. But it's called "Cultural Identity and the Purposes of God." A Biblical Theology of Ethnicity, Nationality, and Race. Sounds like such an important mm-hmm. book. Why'd you decide to write this book, and what can people expect from it if they pick it up this summer? Well, I, I decided to write this book after experiencing 
the deep divisions in a, in a society like Ethiopia mm. um, in relation to the question of ethnicity. And then I came back to the U.S. and realized some of those same divisions were, were here. They just took a different form. The conversation here in the U.S. was primarily about, about race. Ethnicity was there, but you know, people uh, enter into the U.S. and immediately their, their identities are, are racialized. And, and others are thinking about primarily about their national identity, either their national backgrounds or the fact you know, they, they don't want to say that they're, they're, they're white or they just want to say I'm American. And so I wanted to think about those kinds of questions in relation to the whole sweep of, of what Scripture has to say about this question of our identity um, in groups. So we think a lot about, in the U.S., we think a lot about uh, individual identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but increasingly, a, a lot of our, our conversation or in that, uh, within, within the U.S. and in many places is, is really fundamentally tied, about, tied to our participation in groups. And so that sense of cultural identity, what group do I belong to? As evangelicals, we've been very strong on, on thinking about the the I-thou relationship, their personal understanding of, of faith, that's been kind of the hallmark of our heritage from the Reformation. Right. Um, but what does Scripture have to say about our identity within groups? You know, what what are the, how do those how do groups fit and cultures fit within the purposes of God? And so I was really motivated to write this book uh, out of out of asking and and trying to answer in an Ethiopian context uh, mm. some of those kinds of questions. That book, again, is coming out this summer. We'll have Steve back on. It sounds fascinating, Steve. We're looking forward to seeing that book. Again, Dr. Steve Bryan is a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Encourage you to go check out the Gospel Coalition article he just wrote called Neither Progressive Nor Conservative, The Politics of a Confessing Evangelical. And you can also learn more about Steve and his writing uh, at tiu.edu. That's Trinity International University, tiu.edu. Steve, it's great to meet you, man. Thanks for spending some yeah, time with us. Yeah, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. You all have a great day. You too. You're listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. All right, that music can only mean one thing. It's that time of the week or whenever we we just feel the need to vent a little bit, Aubrey. So this is a uh, segment that we started uh it predates you, but I'm proud of you the way that you have embraced Thank Grimes, you. my dear. I appreciate that. The heart of it. And the heart of it is this. Sometimes we just need to vent. Yeah. We just need to get things off our chest. Right. The goal, the uh, the one rule of Grinds My Gears is like it's gotta be uh like annoying, funny. Somewhat stuff. lighthearted. Like we're not saying You know what it, grinds my gears? Uh <laughs> World hunger. World hunger. Yeah. Or yeah. Uh, or the, uh, the the gender divide, or any of right. that stuff. Like we're not <laughs> right. that right. can grind your gears. Yes. But uh, the goal of this is to not be like, hey, you know what grinds my gears? Just systemic racism, <laughs> critical race right. theory. Like that, we're not going true, down but these we're not roads. going there. Yes. <laughs> so I've got two. How many okay. do you have today? I've been, I, I've been I've scoring these. I've got two right now. I, I, I more may come up because sometimes I feel like yours trigger me, and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Your and bitterness so, rubs yes. off on my bitterness. You have more to do later. <laughs> Like, I didn't know that I was angry until they said, Aubrey, I'm going first. Let me paint a picture. You're at the supermarket. Okay. So do you still go to the supermarket, or are you more an online delivery ah, person? I hate to admit I'm more of an online delivery person, but we I've been to the supermarket family. in my life, so I know. So In my life. I actually enjoy going to the supermarket. 
interesting. I would say my wife does not enjoy me okay. going to the supermarket because she'll give me the list. Yeah. I'll do it, and I tend to miss one, two, yeah. three, get the wrong thing yes. to this. Or and- the wrong. My husband is notorious for just getting the wrong amount. Like, I'll be like, get two avocados, and he comes home with six. And I'm like, these will <laughs> these will not last. Why did you just waste money on this? But I love putting – I especially when I used to have a day off before having two jobs. Like, yeah. I would uh, – I would I would do the grocery shopping. I oh, love it. that's fine. So you're at the supermarket. Okay. You're at Jewel. Okay. Uh, you're there. You you bring your uh you you've got the big cart load. Uh, yes. So you push it out to the uh to your car. You load okay. your car, and then you realize. And here's where we get to it. What grinds my gears are the people who don't have the decency to put their carts away. Yes. And it happens all the time. Now, do you, when you say away, do you mean away from their car or you mean in the In, in the stall. The stall. Yeah, yes, those in the are stall. there for a reason. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah. And here's what happens, people. The wind comes and the cart blows. <laughs> but even if it's a beautiful sunny day yeah. where it's not going to blow, you do realize there's somebody whose job it is is to collect those carts. Right. And what does it say about you as a person yes. that you think so low of that probably high school boy or girl right. who has to go out right. and collect those? It's a hard enough job. Have you ever watched them pull all the carts from like the, the stall thing? I, so I feel like I've seen it at Target where they have their little machine. It's like a little like truck they're driving, yep, almost yep. like a trolley at Disney World or something so where they is, collect them all. That is a Target thing. That yeah, that's not at not like Jewel. Usually yeah. they're trying to maneuver them. And then they got to go chase the That's one that true. is across they do the parking have to go lot. Chase the one. Chase the other. One. Let alone if your cart goes, yeah. ru- you know, goes ramming into uh, somebody else's, drives me up a wall. Yeah. And then uh, people like me are left with this. I always return my cart. Yeah. Always return my cart. Yeah. But then I'm left with a. Uh, do I go get that other guy's cart that's right. down there or do I just leave it? And I don't I'm I'm mad at you people for putting me into that state that's where a I have terrible, to make that decision. P- terrible situation you've put Brian in. I, <laughs> it's all about me. <laughs> I feel a very weird sense of guilt about putting my cart back like I'm the same way. I absolutely have to or else I feel so guilty yep. and I've taught my kids they have to. Yes. But every once in a while I'll be honest, I wish I could be the person who left my cart. But you I, can't be because you I have a heart. I can't. I can't. I like because cannot not let inside. myself. Maybe that's it. <laughs> I have to think about it in a positive way. But sometimes I'm like, what is wrong with me that I can't no. just leave that cart? But I can't. I can't do it. And I'll close it with this one. If you're like, well, but what if it's raining? What about in Chicago when it's 30 yeah, below? Yeah. Do you know what? Who you're causing to be out in the rain longer? A young teenager. That teenager who's making 13, 12 bucks yeah. an hour. Yeah. Uh, just don't do it, people. Put your carts away. Put your carts away. It's good exercise. It doesn't take very long either. It's just it's just the right thing to do. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's solid, Brian. Thank you. Okay. Well, yours is a little bit, I think, deeper than mine. Um, <laughs> but there's someone who lives near me, and I have noticed that this someone started a trend in my neighborhood, and the trend is walking your cat on a leash. <laughs> And I'm telling you, it grinds my gears. One, I don't like cats, so I'll just be real upfront about that. But you don't you oh, put your cat on a leash like a dog and then you walk it around the neighborhood like it's your a cat is not a dog. A cat should not be on a leash. And it's now a trend in my neighborhood. Several people have cats on leashes. That one is is the essence of this segment. Right? 
because that is ridiculous. And Thank you. It's ridiculous, right? I'm not. Unless you live in put, Aubrey's neighborhood, we love you. <laughs> I'm trying to put my finger on why I think it's so ridiculous, but something about it grinds my gears. It's like, no, a leash is for a dog. A leash is not for a cat. By nature, cats just sort of slink around the house. Or they're outside. Or they're outside. But they're not outside on a leash. You're walking them like they're your precious little pet. I don't understand it. You just reminded me of something. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, I'm going to go a different route than I was going to do. We'll okay. save the youth sports one for a oh, little, another day. Oh, that should be intriguing. Okay. Aubrey, this might be you. So I don't know. I've not <laughs> been to your home. Go. Maybe. So I don't know. But you know what grinds my gears? I feel like I know what you're going to say. People who decorate for Halloween. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Especially. Okay, let me be more what? specific. Yeah. People who put up lights for Halloween. Like orange and purple lights. Yes. There is only one holiday in which lights <laughs> should adorn your house. That holiday <laughs> is Christmas. I thought you were going to say 4th of July. That holiday is Christmas. <laughs> If you want to put out Halloween stuff, I'm okay with it. Okay, Although yeah. somebody in our, uh, not in our neighborhood, but a couple streets over, yeah. on a main road, hung a, a skeleton from a noose on a tree. Oh, no, no, no. I was no. Like, that is dark. But yeah. I do, and I don't feel like when I was <laughs> growing up that that it was ever a thing to put you, up Halloween lights. Yeah. So I'm okay with the inflatables. Right, right. I'm okay with the, with the ghosts <laughs> and the this and the that. But can we only put lights up for, for Christmas. Christmas? So I would affirm lights are for Christmas or in your backyard, those cute sure, backyard lights. No, no, I'm talking lights. only holiday where you yes, put them up and yes. take them down. I'm just now, decorating. Here's something my parents have. Tell me what you think about this. My parents have those outdoor lights, mm-hmm. but they paid a little bit of money for bulbs that change colors. So on Halloween, you have an orange and black setting. But it's on, like a bulb. It's a bulb. I'm okay with that. On Easter, you can do like pink and purple I'm settings. I'm okay with that. Okay, so I'm that's okay a little different. That. So but I the, decorate for the fall, and we do put pumpkins when my kids carve them absolutely. as our decoration. We don't yes. put ghost skeletons, evil people in the front yard. But I will say in West Chicago, people love them some Halloween, and there are yards decked out with my like horror. As well. Horror movie they love them so characters. Much. And I'm okay with all of that. That's not my thing. It's like, the I lights. don't do it. It is literally putting up like Christmas lights, but orange. I can get behind that. Yeah. You know who knows how much I hate that? My children. Really? Because <laughs> I'll be in the car and I'll be like, more Halloween. And I just go off and they look at me like, what? I'm, like, I'm a usually a mild mannered guy. But not when it comes to Halloween lights. Aubrey. Supermarket carts and Halloween lights. So I should decorate our office with orange and purple I and black lights. Up. I won't come in until <laughs> November the 1st. So anyway, that is the essence of Grind My Gears. Love Things it. that shouldn't bother us so, so much, but really do. Cats on leashes. That right? might have been your best one. Thank you. I, I appreciate be that. Well, next up, how can we talk about money and generosity with confidence and conviction? You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're so glad that you're with us here today. As always, if you want to follow us or engage with us on social media, we are at Common Good Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we love to connect with you in those ways. Uh, Brian, we're going to talk about kind of a sensitive subject Uh now. okay, And that is the subject of Money. Nice. Now, 
we want to speak to everybody, but I want to talk to you for just a minute as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Okay. How difficult or uncomfortable or on the other hand, how comfortable yeah. are you talking to your church about money and giving and tithing and all of that stuff? Ironically, I actually like talking about I, money. I was thinking you're probably pretty good I at it. I do, and I do think it's part of, some people might be like, oh, a pastor should never talk about money. So we remind you, uh, 25% of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels was on money. Yes. So, and therefore, we have to, re- now what you say about it, you know, we can talk about. But to say that we shouldn't talk about money is a complete kind of dereliction of your uh, of your office. Right. right and right, so right. you have to talk about money. And I always enjoy it, Aubrey, because I think uh, and now it's harder to live out. I will be the first to say I, what I'm about to say. I do not live out well often. So I oftentimes when I will say that when I'm talking about money, I'll talk about, hey, I need this as much as you do. Mm. Like, let's talk about this. Um, but I think the when you can teach about money out of the New Testament as as opportunity. Yeah. When you can speak of generosity as opportunity mm. and not as burden. I think all too often in churches we go you should give. Jesus tells you to be generous. It's really going to hurt. It's like eating your vegetables, but don't forget eating your vegetables is good for you. <laughs> as opposed to look at these promises that Jesus makes. Yeah. Do we believe that the Bible's promises are true? Mm-hmm. Okay, we do. If you're in a Bible-believing church, you're going to go, yes, we believe the promises are true. Well, therefore, let's look at the promises as it relates to generosity, as it relates to money, as it relates to contentment, as it relates to possessions and all this stuff. And I think, Aubrey, uh, that's what I enjoy doing is in my own life and in other people's lives to go, here's the opportunity. Now you wrestle with that. Right. How that's going to live out. So actually, I don't really mind talking about money. I don't give sermons that are like, you have to give 10% of your money. Okay. You have to do this. I I try to talk about it as opportunity. How do you feel about talking about money and how do you frame it normally? So Kevin tends to be the pastor in our church who does the money talk and he's really good at it because he's like you. He's like, you know, Jesus talked about this. We know that Jesus talked about it in a way that was for our good, that we Mm -hmm. can't serve two masters. We will either serve money or we will serve Jesus. And so Kevin's really passionate about helping people use their money for generosity, for the kingdom of God, and not allowing it to become an idol in people's lives. So for Mm -hmm. him, I think a lot like you, I could see you being really good at that too. It comes from a pastor's heart. Yes. I think people cringe against money talk in church because you you don't want to, Kevin and I actually saw the Jim and Tammy Faye movie last night, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And I think there's a, maybe a hang up that any pastor who talks about finances and giving to the church is sort of a Jim and Tammy Faye, Faye Baker. That's right. Just trying to get just money. Just trying out to get of, money. Yeah. And that's not really the heart of pastors. Yep. Certainly the church needs the people's generosity to run and to do their programs right. and to pay the staff and pay the building. But ultimately pastors who preach on generosity by and large are doing it because they care about the souls yep. of the people that they're pastoring. Um, I bring this up because over at Christianity Today, Jay Kim, who's been on the show before, he's author of a book called Analog Church, and he's a teaching pastor as well. He wrote an article called Generosity is Liberation, How Pastors Can Teach on Money with Confidence and Conviction. Here's what he says. Money stands right alongside political strife and racial tension as one of the most challenging and complex realities I address from the pulpit as a local church pastor. This is true for many, if not most 
church leaders. Mm. We often experience an intrinsic anxiety when it comes to the intersection of formation into Christ likeness and people's finances. And that's interesting because I don't think Kevin has that. I don't think you have that Mm -hmm. take, but I know a lot of pastors do. And I think, tell me if you think I'm wrong, Brian, but it's because money is an idol. Yes. So when we talk about it, people freak out. Just like when we talk about any idol that people are holding. What do you think about that? I couldn't agree more. Uh, Money even... I'd love to go back to the verse where it says, because this one messes with people's minds, right? You can only serve one of two masters. Mm. You will serve God or money. Yeah. What, how, if you, if I asked you to write that verse out without ever knowing it and say, the Bible tells you you can serve one of two masters, yeah. God and what? You're probably going to fill that out with the world. Yeah. Satan. <laughs> like yeah. dark. Totally. Totally. But, but the Bible says you could serve one of two masters, God or money. Uh, money masters us. And that's why we spend a lot of time thinking about it. We spend wow. a lot of time reading about it, uh, worrying about it, all of those things. And that's why I speak of this in terms of opportunity. The yeah. Bible says um, when uh, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of different verses here, but when we are generous, uh, it is good for our own soul. Like when I give and it's you know, the whole Jim and Tammy Faye Baker thing or other things where this gets messed up is a lot of your prosperity preachers who are like, Aubrey, if you give us $10, God's going to give you $20. Back. Right. That's that's not a promise of scripture. Right. At all. Right. Um, but what God does promise is uh, contentment, mm-hmm. uh, a perspective of money. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I think the two major idols in our culture right now are money and time. Interesting. And so I think anytime wow. we preach on money or time, yeah, it's going to mess with people. It's going to make people angry. It's wow. going to cause them to wrestle. I think. Uh, in some ways, I think this could be a subject for a different day. I think time has surpassed money Interesting, for a lot of people Brian. because uh, we all have the same amount of time. It's all finite. Now, Aubrey, I would say that we do know there are people out there right now uh, who have lost their jobs Absolutely. in the pandemic, who are struggling. Yes. I think now is the time for you to um, be loved by the generosity of other people. Mm. That's the church. There are times for where, where we can be generous yeah. and there are times where we can take on the generosity of others. I would suggest that for a lot of us, uh, we are bar for when I can be generous is way too high. That is so true. Like <laughs> so, when I get here, when these ducks are in a row and this yes. is aligned and this is paid off and I have this much extra, then I can be generous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's I don't a think really it does point. us any good as pastors to be like, therefore you have to give this much to the church. Right. Right. Uh, I think that's where it gets somewhat self-serving, but also gets murky in the scriptures. Yeah. Do, I, do they have to tithe? To right. I've taught on tithing. I've explained right. it. But I, can you tithe to other Christian ministries? Yeah. Can you tithe to yeah something else God has put on your heart? My right. take, like let's say you and Kevin were a part of my church. Yeah. Uh, if let's just get really brass tacks about it. I, okay. I as the church need the budget money, right? I'm a believer that if if I can compel you and Kevin to be generous people in general, whether it's giving to world vision or to your neighbor or to the church or whatever, you're also going to end up being generous to the church. Right. Like right, I don't right. need to get up and be like, Aubrey, it's time for you to give your 10. Per- uh, you gave 8% this you year. You need to bump it up 2%. So all I would say for people out there is generosity comes with a lot of unbelievable promises yeah. in scripture. And I think we have to wrestle with that because I don't think we really ever believe that fully. Mm. Uh, but there's still promises that are true. And it's one of those things you don't really believe until you start trying right. and you see God's hand in it. Well, again, J. Kim, generosity is liberation. Let me just end with one of the stories that he tells. He says, 
When my daughter was very young, we tried to teach her generosity in small and simple ways. Anytime there was food on the table that we knew she loved, we'd ask her to share. Almost always, she'd immediately shove as much food as possible into her (laughs) tiny little mouth, fearful of the thought that she might have to give away even a small bit of something she cherished. But rather than reprimanding her, we learned quickly that the best way to spark generosity in her was to reshape her imagination in order to help her see that there is a deeper joy and surprising freedom in giving rather than grabbing. Mm. And I think that's a good word for all of us. Give rather than grab. Well, stick around. Next up, we're going to be talking about our favorite topic, COVID. (laughs) COVID and kids in schools. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're so glad that you're with us today. Brian, one of the things that we talk about a lot and have talked about for the past year is the COVID pandemic. I don't know if you've heard heard of it. it. Never heard of it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. COVID is always in the news, obviously, but it's in the news right now for two kind of polar opposite reasons. And I thought this was so fascinating. In North Carolina, um, there are some decisions by school board uh, to make masks optional. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Different um, than our state. Very different than our state. Okay, so that's happening in North Carolina. Meanwhile, on the other side of the spectrum, in California, Mm -hmm. uh, the COVID vaccine will now be a mandatory vaccine for kids 12 and up for the school year beginning next year. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's right now, but starting in the next school year. So we've got this continued conversation that we've had for a long time, which is really about our kids, COVID regulations, masks vaccines. We're going to keep having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay. But Brian, I wanted to know just what you thought about this one about the COVID vaccine being mandated and then two masks being optional in some school districts. Yeah. It it highlights and your whole California one don't by next year, I suspect that this vaccine will be approved for 5 to 11. Yes, and that, so, that seems to be where things are headed so, right now. And so they're going to mandate it down to that yes, level, down too, to kindergarten. once it's okay. Right. Um, where am I at? I, Aubrey, this highlights for me the frustration of just the messaging. Mm. So uh, I've said before, I am vaccinated. I'm not a big vaccine mandate guy. Yeah. Um, you know, and... Uh, the messaging has been so slow. It continues to be such a moving target that is really hard. Like I read an article yesterday about when will Governor Pritzker ra- uh, pull the mask mandate. And it was so kind of gray. It really? Was, there was no real concreteness to it. Or last week, Dr. Fauci appeared to come out and encourage people not to gather at Christmas. And everyone <gasps> was like, excuse me? And what? then he walked that back a day later. But there was stuff on the CDC website about how they would recommend you gather for the holidays this year when you're not in person. And you're like, how are we at this point again? But then you go other places where it's like nothing's going on. So I think part of this highlights the messaging right now. But I do think – like I read an article the other day. uh, Again, it seemed really well done. It was at a reputable place and it was – really investigated it was like a, a not one of these just kind of thrown out there sure. that said that they're kind of finding that those of us who have been vaccinated not only are less likely to get covid but are also now less likely to give covid ah that's you're like, good well, i thought that was the whole reason was the whole i'm wearing point. masks and so 
<laughs> my point is, and I, I try to be gracious about the fact that the doctors are learning and other people yes, are learning. Yes. But, but you're just – that is a frustration of mine. When it comes to mandates, I just – with it being such a new vaccine yeah. and us not knowing I, – I understand. I don't understand the people who are like uh, protesting at school board meetings. And no, I don't understand that, like, that at all. This is different. But like I've got friends of mine who are uneasy getting vaccinated yeah. and they're not crazy people. Right. They are not – um, they are not conspiracy theory yeah. people. They are not. They've got their reasons. Obviously, I disagree with the reasons I got vaccinated. Right. Um, but I'm not a big vaccine guy. I don't go get the flu shot. Like right, I understand right. that there's nuance in this. And so th- when there is something that's so new and nuanced and this and that to now put on top of it, your kid can't go to school or yeah. you're going to lose your job right. or this. I, I'm very uncomfortable with it because I'm not sure. I understand the other side of it, but I I think I would much prefer to be a place where we go, listen, everybody's got their opportunity to be vaccinated. Right. Uh, Your choice. Uh, Here's the statistics about what they're saying happens if you the risk you're under if you don't get vaccinated. Yeah. Here's the here's the numbers if you do. Right. We're going to kind of give this we've given this window. You can I mean you could drive up to Walgreens right now without an appointment and just get it. Right. Like, no it's problem. not like you're waiting. It's not like back in April when we were all on our Hoping phones. Like, we'd get in. I got it yeah. in four weeks. Yeah. Everybody's got the opportunity. Yeah. Uh and and, and so I do think there is uh I, I'm just not a fan of the mandates. I would also say I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here too. Yes. I I don't I I don't agree with the people who are looking for religious exemptions on this and yeah. this, I just go I don't, I don't trust the vaccine I don't want it and right. and I wish both sides could say okay we're going to trust people and yeah. uh, we're going to follow the science as we've been saying that seems to have gone out the window a long time ago so I, I'm uncomfortable I'd like you know if you ask me would I rather move to California where they're mandating it for kids or move to North Carolina where masks are optional yeah. in school I'd move to North Carolina mm, interesting and a lot of people are they're moving down I south would. for these reasons I would and that's what makes it hard Illinois is a lot more California than it is, <laughs> than it is North, North Carolina, Carolina. Right now, but, that's really true so where are you at right now you know I, I feel like I'm probably going to talk out of both sides of my mouth too because my kids do get the other vaccines and have mm-hmm. since they were little and schools do require vaccines mm-hmm. so now of course there are some examples but generally speaking, you need the the polio, measles, yeah. polio, um, tuberculosis. You know, you need the vaccines that are available to you. And I think those are good vaccines. I have lived in Zambia. I have seen a nation where kids do not have access to vaccines. And it's horrifying. Mm. I mean, kids are dying. And so I, I think vaccines are good, reasonable, scientifically proven to prevent disease. I want my kids to have that. I think the fear is that it's so soon. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a lot of my friends who haven't done the vaccine for their kids yet or even for themselves yet are saying, look, I want to. I'm planning on it, but not yet. Give me some time. This thing is so new. I want to see more evidence. I want more time. I want more proof. And then I'll do it. So I I guess that's where I feel like I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about it because I am for vaccines. I understand Simultaneously, I also understand the hesitation about the newness of it and that it does it's rushed. I mean, we can't we can't. Deny, now, that doesn't mean it's not good. That right. doesn't mean it's not effective. It clearly seems like the science is pointing to the fact that it is. Um, but I, I guess I'm with you, Brian. Ultimately, I can understand why people would be hesitant. Um, again, I'm vaccinated. Mm-hmm. My kids who are of age are vaccinated. So I am for this vaccine. 
But I am not going to think you're a crazy person if you, before you're conscious, decide that you can't do it yet. Yeah. Yeah. And it does, I don't like that therefore your kids might not be able to go to school. Yeah. I don't like that you might not be able to travel, go to restaurants, et cetera. That's when it's starting to go too far for and, me. And it's just, you know, it is the culture we live in right now, but not everybody who's anti-vaccine is crazy. Right. And not everybody who's pro-vaccine is, is, crazy. Some, is some woke, <laughs> liberal, whatever, yeah. you, li- yeah. whatever you want to put on them. Yeah. Like how we've politicized a vaccine uh, yeah. that was created by the last administration. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, but has been pushed forward by the next administration. Like there's a Republican administration and a Democrat right. administration that are behind this vaccine. Right. Uh, yet we have politicized this in such a way that I can tell you, Aubrey, if you gave me a list of 10 of my friends on Facebook who are the most vocal, I could tell you by how they've sp- spoken politically, whether they're vaccinated or mm, not. Interesting. And that's worrisome. Like, like they, if we could just get away from that. And I yeah. know we're speaking, we've said this a million times and I know it's not going to happen. But the fact that we as a culture have politicized uh, vaccinations and a pandemic yeah. and this and that, and you yeah. can blame both sides. You can blame uh, right. – uh, there is a lot of blame to go around for that. But I think that has so muddied the waters that now you can't have an actual conversation uh, about vaccinations. Isn't that true, can't. Brian? Or about masks or yeah. about anything. You can't right. talk about it without it being all this other stuff. And right. that's really sad and it's and it's dangerous. Yeah, it's absolutely dangerous. Well, coming up next, we're going to create space to listen to God's voice or at least talk Mm. about how we do that. And maybe that will give us some peace and some answers and some discernment in these difficult conversations. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Wednesday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. And as you know by now, one of our favorite things to do to end today's show and every day's show is to send you home with something encouraging, inspiring, or meaningful to think about. And a friend of mine, Faith Yuri Cho, was writing over at propelwomen.org and she asked this question, Brian, that I wanted us to discuss. She says this, What if the most life-changing and history-making thing you can do is to intentionally create space in your day to hear God's voice? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a deeply powerful question because I think, let me ask the question in a different way like we often hear it. What if the most life-changing and history-making thing you can do is start a movement? Mm. What if the most life-changing and history-making thing you can do is fight against this thing that's wrong? What if the most life-changing history-making thing you can do is, you know, X, Y, Z, achieve, whatever. But she says, create space to hear God's voice. Really, really profound. What what did you think just of that question? And then we can dive into her article. uh, The question is a powerful one to wrestle with. I would say her answer is, uh, uh, and I'm not suggesting this about her at all. I'm more suggesting this about myself. Uh, really easy to say, really hard to live. Right. That's really exactly right. And Aubrey, I, I would think if anybody wants to argue with her her premise there, I would just simply point them to Jesus and say, Jesus had three years of ministry on this earth. And we all know this, but we start to lose almost the scandal of it. Jesus had three years. Yet how many times does Jesus go, I need to be by myself. Mm. I need to be in the presence of my yeah. father. I need to spend. And you're like, right, hold right. on a second. You're Jesus. Right. Like you should you're be You're always running. in the presence. A, like you are the presence. A, yeah. why do you ever need to sleep? Yeah. <laughs> but B, 
you need to go off and pray. Yeah. You need to go off. And so if Jesus, mm. um, and I know theologians can argue whether he needed that or chose whatever. Sure. But if it, what's undeniable is that Jesus did that. Yes. So if Jesus did that, who am I to be like, nope, I don't need to hear from I'm the fine. voice of God. I'm good. I know better. And I'm just going to run about my day. Like, right. It's a lunacy. So yeah, I, I, if you argue with her, I would just go, Look at Jesus. Look at and Jesus. One of the things that Faith says in her article is this. You can Google directions and listen to podcasts for just about anything these days. How to break free from fear. How to find your calling. How to be this. How to do that, etc. So much of our energy can be directed towards finding the formula for our destiny. We rush to spiritual leaders and experts for the keys to breakthrough. We get influenced back and forth while scrolling through social media We are surrounded by a myriad of voices telling us how to navigate this life Mm. that's been given to us by God. However, there's an age-old key to it all that has been made accessible to us by Jesus, and it is listening and living according to his words. Mm, Oh, so good. Okay, so Brian, pastor us for a minute. How do we listen and live to the voice, listen to God's words and live for the voice of God. Yeah, and this is where it becomes, this is where it gets to where I said before, this is really easy to say, hard to live out. Mm. There's not many better ways to characterize our culture and many of our days. I know my day feels like this, Aubrey, your day probably does, as noisy. Yes, Like our days are just noisy. And so to hear the voice of God requires silence. Right. Like I think about when I, <laughs> That's good. I think about when I talk to my wife sometimes and we'll be in the living room and I'll be watching a game distracted and it'll be loud. And she's mm-hmm. like she will often say, because I can kind of do I probably can't, but I, I like to think I can do multiple. I can be talking to you while, while I'm doing you. this. Well, yeah, my wife doesn't work that way. And yeah. so she will often be like, can you just pause the TV? And <sighs> so like while we talk about really this and I'll be like, OK, you know, <laughs> I think when we have all these multiple noise things pulling at us, it's hard to pray. Yeah. Like what is ultimately hearing from God and talking? It's prayer. This is yeah. what we're talking about. It's reading the word. It's it's being alone with him. And does God always speak in this audible voice? No, but sometimes he does. But sometimes he impresses stuff upon us. Sometimes mm-hmm. he reveals things in his word to us, sometimes through other people. But I can tell you one way he doesn't speak to us is when we ignore spending any time with them right. and ignore right. Uh, being in his word and praying. So I, I really think this is why it's difficult, even though this is easy. I preached this past week on prayer and you're mm. like, everybody knows about prayer, but not a lot of us actually do How it. How often it's do we hard. practice and prayer? So, uh, you know, I, I would say for people, I wish I had like a $64,000 question, the answer to go like, here's exactly how to hear yeah. from God. But if you're not spending any time in silence, right, be still and know that I'm God. If there's no silence going on, if there's no reflection, if there's no disconnecting from the noise of life, you're never going to hear. And so that's got to kind of be the start. How would you, why don't you pastor us? Tell us what uh, what we can be doing. I mean, I would go back to what you just said about silence. I, I think one thing that we have to realize is that God does want to communicate mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we just don't even realize what a miracle that is. And so to stop and praise God for that, God, you are a God who wants to be known and wants to know us. I mean, does know us perfectly, but wants us to know that you know us. And then to have times of silence, to go for walks, to connect with God, to open the word of God, pray, journal, reflect on it, to turn. I mean, I think even things like when you're in the car, and this is difficult for me because I love music. I love chatting with my friends in the car. But what if you took 10 minutes on your car ride to work or to school or to the grocery store, turned off the music, 
turn off your phone and let that be a time of listening and prayer. You mm-hmm. know, what if when you're in the shower, you let that be a time of listening and prayer? I, I think sometimes where we get stuck is we think we need hours upon hours That's at right. a retreat to really connect with God, but we have the invitation from God all the time. And so we can take moments throughout our day, like you said, Brian, to be still mm-hmm. and remember that he is God. A few more things that Faith Yuri Cho says in this article. She says, the parting of the Red Sea was mm. not a result of careful planning. Rather, it was a miracle spurred on by an, an obedient response to what God told Moses. Mm-hmm. The walls of Jericho did not fall because the army of Israel had the capability to take it by force. Instead, it was a result of a heavenly strategy that was given to Joshua by God himself. And then lastly, even Elijah, petrified and exhausted as he hid in a cave, was not moved by the forceful earthquake or the raging fire. Instead, it was the gentle whispers of his God that moved him out of the cave to stand in God's glory. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know, I feel like that's a good word for all of us, that we can meditate on God's word, we can be silent, we can go on walks, and in all of it, we can be assured that God is there waiting to speak to us. Yeah, and and so I would encourage people— um, I said this at my church the other day. The, the book of Hebrews describes prayer basically as the curtain's been torn, now run into his throne room. Love that. And I just tried to say, if you've never prayed, pray for two minutes on Monday. Yeah. Like don't, you're not going to go from I never pray to I'm a monk. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Like, go for a walk, like you yeah. said, and try it. Just try it. Yeah. And see, leave your phone, you know, disconnect and mm. go that route. I think – uh, it's baby steps, right? It's not like, okay, I'm going to now go from never praying to fasting and praying right. for eight hours right. tomorrow. Right. Well, you're going to be, you're going to be sadly mistaken. And so uh, give it a try. And uh, I, I love how she closes out when she just say, may we be moved solely by his whispers. Ugh. It's just, it's Powerful. that God still speaks. Yeah. And, and we are invited into that to listen and to be in his presence. Yeah, I love that, Brian. All right. Well, thanks, Faith Yuri Cho, for writing that. You can read mm-hmm. that article, Learning to Listen When God Speaks at PropelWomen.org. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back right here tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.